our delight and joy, privilege to be in your midst again. We did enjoy the last occasion we were here and we look forward to God undertaking and blessing again. There should be no difficulty for most of you in understanding the language that we speak because everywhere I go, people come up to me and say, my ancestors came from Scotland. So there should be no problem. Most of you will be familiar with the Scottish accent and that should provide no difficulty. Now, before turning to the Word of God, and your pastor mentioned something with which I fully concur, that it is good to receive some encouragement from, because these are difficult days. This is the day of small things. And so I thought I would just very briefly share with you some recent occurrences in our church. One night, a Sunday night, gospel service. I was preaching as I normally did on a Sunday evening and at the end this family, well this family came in, five people, man, wife, son-in-law, two daughters and he came up to me at the end of the service and he said we have been searching all over the city of Glasgow and the outskirts to try and find a church where they really preach the gospel and we haven't been able to find one. And now he said, this is the place. Tonight we've heard the gospel as we believe it ought to be preached. And this is what he said. And as a result, he decided that they would come over to the church. Now they live on the other side of the city, over across the river on the other side of the city. And to me, that's a foreign land. The city divides us between these strangers and the other side. It's about 10 miles they come across. Since that evening, the young man who was his prospective son-in-law and has since been married, he decided to set up a little meeting in his own apartment in a very neglected and downtrodden area of the city of Glasgow. He's just an ordinary young guy who very recently was a junkie, was running about with a bad crowd, and God intervened and radically changed his life so that he set up this little meeting. His father-in-law, it subsequently turned out, told me that he had served five years in the great Berlini prison in Glasgow, prison for the worst offenders. He was in there for murder. Not only murder, but he told me that he had not only murdered a man himself, but had arranged for the murder of several other people in that city. And so he was certainly a reprobate character, somebody you wouldn't want to associate with until God intervened in his life, radically changed him to Corinthians 5.17, new creature, and you on meeting that gentleman today would never be able to conceive that he ever was a murderer or that he ever arranged for other people to be murdered, gang members, God intervened. 
and gave him a totally new life. Now, uh, just briefly, the follow-on from this is that young man who had been the junkie and running about with the wrong crowd set up the meeting, got some of his peers, young men and women, perhaps from 18 to 20-odd years of age, gathered them in that little uh, meeting, asked if I would go across and speak to them, which was a great privilege and honour to do. And from that time, then at the end of the year till now, there have been five or six of these young people who have been converted. We baptised three of them just a couple of weeks ago, and I don't baptise anybody until we see some evidential fruits so of there's a genuine work genuine work of the Spirit of God in their lives. God is now dealing with two or three of these other young people, and we go across on a Monday evening to what is a pretty run-down area of the city, disreputable place full of drug-taking and all criminal activities, and we've seen the Spirit of God moving in convicting power and we're just praising God for this. This is the day for us. It's a day of small things. We don't see too many people coming to a genuine saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Spirit of God is working there. What a privilege it is. Because you know what it is. We've labored. We've spoken literally to 6,000 people in our coffee morning on a one-to-one basis and we haven't seen the kind of results that we're seeing with these young people. It's God. It's a sovereign God showing that he is still able to save to the uttermost whoever the most disreputable characters who will come to him in true repentance and faith. So I just hope that it'll be an encouragement to you to know that, well, even in that blighted land of Scotland, God forsaken in many ways, trampled underfoot the glorious heritage that God gave them, and yet our God is still a loving, merciful God who is engaged in the business at his divine ordering of saving souls, transforming lives, and adding them to the church. Well, <clears throat> the Lord will help us now, just in the 25th chapter of Matthew's Gospel, beginning to read at the first verse. <clears throat> then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were wise. Five were foolish. They that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them, but the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. While the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said unto the wise, Give us of your oil. For our lamps are gone out. But the wise answered, saying, Not so, lest there be not enough for us and you. But go ye rather to them that sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came. And they that were ready went in with him to the marriage. 
and the door was shut. Afterward came also the other virgins, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. Watch therefore, for ye know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. Amen. May God in gracious pleasure bless even the public reading of this, his own precious word in our midst. And friends, just let us remember there are thousands of our fellow saints in North Korea perhaps, Pakistan, parts of Africa, who do not have this privilege that we might take lightly. And it might be good for us to have a trip up there to Plymouth Rock and read the inscription of our forefathers when they said, let us not lightly cast away that which our fathers have dearly purchased. And I would commend to you in the passing we make it a regular practice of praying for those persecuted ones who don't enjoy the freedom, privileges, maybe the luxuries that we enjoy. I'd like to, if the Lord would help us just for a little time, to take that 10th verse as a text. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and they that were ready went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. And the door was shut. As Christians, we profess to attend on the Lord Jesus, to honor him, also to be waiting expectantly for his coming. Sincere Christians are the wise virgins, and the hypocrites are the foolish ones, the unconverted, the unregenerate. Those are the truly wise or foolish who are certain in the affairs of their souls. The circumstances of the parable of the ten virgins were taken from the marriage concerning that custom among the Jews and explaining something of the great day of Christ's coming. How pertinent this parable is brought to our minds in our plain witness to the unconverted souls, and how such conversations with the ungodly do sadly underline the great dichotomy between saved and lost, a mighty gulf that no man can cross, a mighty gulf that is only spanned by the crosswork of the Lord Jesus Christ on Calvary's hill, where in agony and torment and blasphemy, cursing and spitting, he died an untimely death for sins, not his own. And I think it also accurately depicts the attitude of the foolish virgins in their ignorance and lack of concern with the impending realities of their condemned, doomed estate. The awful truth is that there is a total abandonment of any concern generally among sinners for the inevitable day of reckoning and the awful, painful, nerve-shattering fearfulness which will accompany the judgment day will all be there. It may not seem relevant or it may not seem close proximity will be there. For it's appointed unto man once to die, 
and after death, judgment. And it seems to me hard to imagine a more terrifying, chilling statement in the whole of Scripture than those fearful words. And the door was shut. The bridegroom came, typifying the spine-chilling reality of Christ returning and the foolish virgins, the unsaved, being unready for the event. And this frightening declaration of our text here in the 10th verse is an echo of a similar one centuries ago in Noah's day, depicting a very similar scenario. God told Noah in general that he would destroy the world. The end of all flesh has come before me. I, saith the Lord, will destroy them. That is, the ruin of this wicked world is decreed and determined. It has come and come quickly. Noah, it is likely, in preaching to his neighbors, had warned them in general of the wrath of God that they would bring upon themselves by their wickedness. And you can imagine it, can't you? You can imagine people then saying, there's that silly old religious fanatic Noah and that huge wooden boat that he's built there and coming down the gangplank every day and preaching to us about the judgment of God. Look at him. Well, I suppose he's a, he's a nice enough old guy, you know, but he's, he's, he's just carried away with this religious spirit. And, but anyway, he's, he's pretty harmless, but we don't have time to listen to his rhetoric, his religious rantings. And one day, after they thought, an ark, a boat. Look, the sky is azure blue. The ground is parched for lack of moisture. And this silly old coot comes down there and says that there's going to be a flood. People like that should be taken away to some, see some psychiatrist or something. And one day, there was a bitter patter. Is that rain? I thought I thought I felt a few drops of rain there, and yeah, I think it yeah it's beginning to rain, and that won't be much. We don't get much rain here, and suddenly that pitter patter became a steady downpour, and then it became a deluge, and that water began to rise up over the ankles, up to the knees, and panic set in. And he said, let's, let's get to that ark. Maybe that silly old religious fool was right enough. There's going to be a flood. It's up to our waist now. Let's go. Let's get to this gangplank. And got to the gangplank, and the rain was up to their waist then. It's coming up to their chest. And they start to hammer on that door. Noah, Noah, let us in, let us in. But the door was shut, not to be opened. There was an air of finality. And friends, one day, the door that is open to receive poor, lost, unconverted, unregenerate sinners today, it's open. 
But one day, it'll be closed. And the door will be shut, closed fast. And the tragic fate and doom of those five foolish virgins was not just sealed when the bridegroom came, but their whole careless, indifferent, laissez-faire attitude preceding the event. And though their comprehensive history is not recorded, we know enough from our present experience that the banishment of sleeping sinners for all eternity is a progressive thing, in that they have generally been well warned or are completely indifferent, unconcerned regarding their eternal destiny and future. That's pretty common today, even amongst people that go to church. No real realization or apprehension concerning the future. The stark reality of these foolish ones was the bridegroom came representing the Lord Jesus Christ as coming before the wicked, before they're ready, going off to sleep, leaving their untrimmed lamps to smolder on, again going about their normal business as they did in the days of Noah, buying their everyday necessities, nothing further from their minds than that the bridegroom is Coming, we don't know when, but he's coming. And if we have not settled the matter by repentance, confession of sin and repentance, then seeking God daily that he would help us to live for Christ, none of us are perfect. None of us can live up to the the standard of, of the commandments, the precepts and principles of God, but at least... If we come and say, Lord, like I've instructed these young people who've never been in a church, get on your knees and as earnestly as you can, confess your waywardness, your sin to Christ and ask him to cleanse it all away in the precious, efficacious blood that flowed from Calvary's cross. And then ask him to help you to live for him so long as he spares your life. And by the grace of God, not by any wonderful preaching or exhortation from me, but by the grace of God and the coming of the Holy Spirit into that little gathering and giving these poor, lost, unregenerate souls a new heart. Take away the heart of stone giving them a heart of flesh, cleansing them in the only agency for dealing with the matter of sin in any mortal's life since Adam's day till now. The blood, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission for sin. The blood. People don't like that. You know, blood's kind of messy. Why, there's even some people foolish enough to Talk about a butcher's shop's religion or some ignorant, blind, not realizing, my friends, the blood of Jesus Christ is a heartbeat of our gospel. We better revere it. We better claim it. We better daily ask him to purge and cleanse our sins and iniquities that so, don't they, so easily, so quickly, so readily come upon us, the best of us, 
the flesh lusting against the spirit and how often we have recourse to the place where the blood was shed to say, Lord, please have mercy upon me. Help me, Lord. For here the godly man ceaseth. Help, Lord. Cleanse me in the blood of the Lamb. Indiscriminate access to the bridal feast in heaven was a myth which is not substantiated in the word of God. You know, friends, when, for me anyway, when I think of these things, I realize even how unworthy I am to be able to come into this pulpit and address you. Who am I? Just a wretched sinner saved by grace. But at least I can... I hear the voice of God that says, them that honour me, I will honour. Now, if President Trump invited me to the White House, which is a fantasy, it's not going to happen, but I'll tell you this much, I would, would go to the White House just the way I am here. And when I'm invited to the house of the Most High and Holy God, then I'm glad that I can say, Lord, you know, if the greatest honour that befell me to be invited to the White House for some, or Buckingham Palace, <laughs> this is how I would go. Because you've said, them that honour me, I will honour. Nothing slovenly, nothing careless. The best, the best, only the best is good enough for Christ and what he's done for us. What? Jesus has done for this soul of mine, the half will never be told through eternity. And who can begin to estimate then the horrendous shock, the foolish inexperience when they finally realize their opportunity has gone and the door is now shut. You die and you awake after death, judgment. Oh, now it's true. See what that preacher said or the pastor here or anybody where where we heard the gospel I took it lightly but but it's true it's all true there is a heaven to gain and a hell to shun I wish I'd listened God you know Lord I believed in you and I I tried to do the best I could and 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 I met I made resolutions often to, that I, if you'd help me, I'd change my life. I, want, I, know, I know I'm a sinner, yes. Uh, uh, my whole life, my conscience, tells, my secret life, my life behind closed doors. I know I'm a sinner. And you know, Lord, I meant, I, I, I meant to get right. And I thought there's still time. So, but then... Maybe I should have paid more attention to the apostle when he said, Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation, 2 Corinthians 6, 2. And it also underlines the heinous practice of procrastination, which sadly proliferates in the Christian as well as in worldly areas. How many even Christian folk live by the maxim, never do today what you can put off Till tomorrow. Indiscriminate admission to the feast would be a great distraction and bring much opprobrium 
upon the host, the master of the feast, the Lord Jesus Christ. How could he allow cold-hearted, disinterested, merely religious persons who had no respect for the bridegroom to mingle with the righteous persons who loved, respected, and greatly admired and sought to obey the bridegroom to the best of their limited capacity. Such individuals could only bring contempt upon the gathering and its host. Just brief aside here, how ridiculous, don't you think, and insane the deluded fantasy of those, for example, Islamist jihadists who think that paradise awaits them for their awful, brutal, barbaric acts of violence and cruelty against their fellow men, many of their victims even professing the same religion and adherence as themselves. And doubtless this is a masterstroke of Satan himself his attacks upon God and his truth. The Bible tells us in the last days, and I believe we're in the last days, Satan is let loose for a season. How can you explain decent, not even Christian people, decent, ordinary, respectable people who suddenly their reaction to same-sex marriage and transgenderism goes along these lines, well, you know, it's just this modern generation and it's the way young people think today and it's just, I guess, it's just one of these things. There's not really much we can do about it and that's just... You're going to tell me that that came about without a master stroke from the pit of hell, the devil let loose and contaminating, corrupting, seducing the minds even of decent, ordinary, respectable people. Never mind church people. Some Christians are supportive of these things. In our national church, the church of your heritage, church of John Knox, the church of Robert Murray McShane, the church of Andrew and Horatio Bonner, the Church of Thomas Boston, the Church of William Burns, the first pioneer missionary to China, the Church of Patrick Hamilton and George Wishart, first martyrs of the Reformation there in Scotland, that church, glorious heritage, now will conduct same-sex marriages. God help us. What have we become? What have we come to? With a dereliction of duty, a loose living, and anything goes. And the anthem of so many of these churches ought to be singing is the one introduced by Mr. Frank Sinatra, I did it my way. But God says, my ways are not your ways. My ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. My thoughts are higher. I am the Lord God Almighty, and I change. You can change. Society can change, America can change, the UK, Europe can change. I am the Lord. I change not. And what I hated yesterday, I still hate today. An unchangeable, sovereign, almighty God. And that's the God that your forefathers believed in. That's the God that when Presbyterianism was born in Scotland, that men were prepared to die were prepared to be martyred 
James Renwick, 26 years of age, first martyr of the covenanting times, and many others like him. You can go to Edinburgh and say, there's where, there's where they hung these noble covenanters. You can go to the moors of Ayrshire, say, there's the blood of John Brown, a faithful master for the covenant truth that we say that we believe in. There in Wigtonshire, there, there's the two posts that mark the spot where the two Margarets, one 16 years of age and one 70 years of age, drowned in the cold, cold waters of the Solway Fifth for no other crime than that they would not yield, they would not say that Christ and the King were equal. Just say it. You just say it, the crowd pressure, and just say it, say it. You don't have to believe it, that'll satisfy them. Just say, I believe that the King and Christ are equal. And young Margaret, 25 metres back, watched as the older Margaret, and that grey, cold tide rose up and finally suffocated the life. And the crowd then rushed up to the younger girl, says, now, Margaret, just, you don't have to believe it. Just, just say it, uh, and, and you'll be spared. Just say, yes, Christ and the King are equal. That's, no, no, no. These are inspirational things to me especially as a Scottish person. You're Presbyterians, that's where your roots are. Can I fall in the footsteps of such illustrious, noble, fearless, God-fearing? If the tide started to come up to drown me, would I, would I say no? Here I stand, said Luther, I can do no other, even if every tile in Wittenberg was a devil. Here I stand, I can do no other. I believe America, I believe Britain, the world needs men of such character today. It's almost unbelievable that Satan, the world and the flesh, have contrived a master plan that is able to deceive the majority, overrule even their basic sense of right and wrong all paraded under the banner of religion, like the multitudes who, if they're not killers or terrorists, still have been deceived and tranquilized into a soporific condition, and like the foolish virgins waiting with a vain hope for the bridegroom's return. And the vain hope consists to a degree in the delusion that the filthy and the unclean, stained, soiled garments of the unrighteous would somehow be allowed to mingle with the spotless, pure robes of the redeemed. It's a fantasy, my friends, beyond belief, though we sadly know it exists at this very moment throughout the unregenerate world. When an eagle, when an eagle soars with majestic, effortless gliding into the heights and glides around in perfect symmetry. It all looks sublime. However, let you and I in our natural state be propelled into the same environment and we would plummet to destruction in an instant. So it is with the poor unregenerate soul. Uncomfortable would be a gross understatement for their predicament in the spotless purity of that holy realm and glory. How miserable they would be, how burdensome, 
how tortured their existence in a habitation hostile to their condition. We need to be changed. We need to be cleansed. We need to have had the blood of Christ applied so that our sin is covered. And then the master of the feast says, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. If I don't see the blood, I will not pass over you and you will not enter into my spotless, impeccable realm, which has no need of sun or moon, no need of light because the Lamb is all the light and the glory of Emmanuel's land. Is that where we're heading? I'll draw to a close as much more as we could say. The door was shut. And I believe the verb shut here does not merely mean it was closed, but rather that it is closed in such a manner that it is unable to be opened. In other words, it is locked, bolted permanently. And we are specifically informed that the door was shut again implies indeed, well, we know that any door that is merely shut can be opened again. We can lock the door to the church here, to our homes, and and we bring a key. Yes, it's locked fast, but it can be opened again. Not this door. No, not this door. When Christ comes either by death or at judgment and finds persons in a graceless state, There is then no hope. Add to all this that the door of Christ's heart is now open to receive all coming repentant sinners. But then at that day it will be shut against all their cries and treaties and importunities. It will be shut by him himself, him who opens and no man shuts, who shuts and no man opens. The five foolish virgins come to the door after going about their own careless things and they came too late and discovered that their opportunity to the feast is gone. Now, behold, now is the day of salvation. Not tomorrow, there's no tomorrow. Not yesterday, there's no tomorrow. Yesterday is gone. Today, now is the day of salvation. And we Christians ought to be acting cognizant with that fact. In some careless fashion. That, oh yeah, well I made a decision a while ago. But other people think I'm a Christian. Does God know that we're a Christian? That's the only thing that matters. Not what our neighbour thinks, not even what maybe our pastor thinks. What God knows regarding our estate. The alternative, the issue is too horrendous to contemplate. They never preach it now. God help us in the pulpits of Scotland, England, or or America. How often did they ever mention there's a hell to shun? It's a reality. Jesus preached more about hell than he did about heaven. But now it's all lovey-dovey and soft. Give the people what they want to hear rather than what they desperately need to hear. Then unless we repent, confess our sins, Ask Christ to cleanse us in that blood that he agonizingly shed in Calvary's tree. You come to the communion service, 
I'll draw to a close here. I could say much, much more. You come to that communion service. This do in remembrance of me. Remembrance of what, Lord? In remembrance of how the mob baying like hounds or wolves, the mob laid holds upon God manifest in the flesh and then began to drag him up that hill towards that rough wooden cross. And there, amidst the jeering and spitting in the face of Almighty God, they took him and nailed him with an, an atrocity and a vehemence, crying all the time, Give us Barabbas the thief and crucify him. Crucify the Nazarene. Spat on him. Cursed him. Blasphemed him. And he hung there in excruciating agony for sins not his own. Do this in remembrance of me. Remember my suffering. My passion, my agony, my pain. It's good. No man, no man ever bore pain like this. Who were they laying hands upon, spitting on, cursing? God, 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 manifest in the flesh. No wonder when the door is shut, it's shut. And so the issues, friends, which you're probably well aware of, must be settled now. And eternity is the issue. Heaven or hell? For a million years? No. About a trillion? No. No. Forever. 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 I think, and I don't know, of course, if there's any person here, you're not saved, you're not converted, or you have doubts about where you stand, we need to settle the matter. Are the great transactions done? And you want to be able to say, I am my Lord's, and he is mine, not for any works of righteousness which I have done, but according to his mercy. He saved me. Oh God, don't close that door before the matter is settled. And you're, you're glorified through this. You're glorified when we obey you. To obey is better than sacrifice. To obey the Lord. And what a reward. What a reward. Heaven forever and forever. Where do you stand? Are you saved? Do you have that assurance when my time comes? And it's coming soon, isn't it, for all of us? Who will be the first person in here to die? We don't know. could be anybody. But we better be ready for that day. And here is another opportunity, foreordained before the very foundation of the world, that you and I would gather here. And maybe we'll never pass this way again. That may be quite pleasing for some. I don't know, but... As God's ambassadors, we have to come and proclaim Jesus Christ and him crucified and set out to the best of our limited ability the claims of the gospel 
and beseech you in Christ's name, if you're not saved, you'd clinch that matter. The door is still open. But who knows when it will be shut and shut forever, forever. I'm going to ask your pastor to come. I'm just pray, briefly praying, commit our time into God's hands, and then our brother can come and conclude the gathering. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it is a momentous occasion whenever we hear the glorious evangel, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And what have I, Lord, a miserable wretch, no man, a worm, Lord, stained with sin and fleshly and carnally minded and yet God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life and on that cross Lord Jesus you died for me you died you suffered what I should have suffered I'm the one who sinned I'm the one who is ignorant I'm the one who is filthy and you are the spotless, impeccable, holy son of the most high God. And you died for sins, not your own. And the door's open still. And now is a day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. And in your name we beseech any who might not know thee, Lord, that now is the time for them to settle the matter. Not tomorrow. Tomorrow never comes. Procrastination is a thief of time. Now is the day of salvation. And for those of us, Lord, who through no merits of our own have been adopted into the family of God, surely we are praying if there are any who know not the grace of God, even at this time, they might come and say, O oh God, please be merciful to a hell-deserving wretched sinner like I, and they will find that Christ will receive and then supply the means for them to be able, at least in a measure, to fulfill, to obey the precepts and principles of his own holy word. To this end, we pray, Lord, you'd undertake and bless and help thy people here. We know that these are evil days. It's a day of small things. We're not seeing people saved in the way we would like. Help them, Lord, nevertheless, to stand fast for the truth as it is in Christ Jesus and resist the devil and we have your promise he will flee from us and all these things are out with their own capability but in Christ we can do all things through him that strengthens us and we ask this may be the portion of thy people here and we ask them humbly in your name and for your glory Amen